Welcome back to the Global Startup Movement. I'm your host, Angie Berkowitz. I hope everyone is having a great Startup Week across the world. I've been seeing some really awesome posts coming from Denver Startup Week. Uh, and to celebrate, I'm releasing an episode today that really digs into the foundations of a startup ecosystem, and that is true grassroots community building. And I'm joined by my good friend, Laís de Oliveira. Laís was a part of Startup Grind in the very early days, alongside Derek Anderson and a few others, and helped to scale the organization across Africa, Asia, and Eastern Europe before ending up in Malaysia and helping to build their startup ecosystem from the ground up. Her latest venture, MoredGirls.co, is aiming to get more girls involved in tech, design, and business, and she's currently writing about her 10 years of experience building communities in her first book, Hacking Communities, which you can expect to be out in early 2019. But she was kind enough to come on now and share a few of the topics during this interview, uh, as well as dive into the story of the Malaysian startup ecosystem's growth, which she helped to drive starting with her arrival in 2014. But that's enough for me for now, and so I hope you enjoy this great interview with Laís de Oliveira, the founder at moregirls.co, and soon-to-be best-selling author of Hacking Communities. Entrepreneurship has become a global phenomenon. Uncover the stories of entrepreneurs and investors worldwide, from sub-Saharan Africa to Silicon Valley and beyond, here on the Global Startup Movement. Now... Here's your host, Andrew Berkowitz. So, Laís, thank you so much for joining us today. I think in terms of the the people I have in my network, you're definitely one of the more, uh, you know, have a much better global perspective having lived in multiple countries. I would love just to start off with a, a little bit about your story and, and how you came into the world of startups. Okay, so thank you very much for having me, Andrew, first of all. Well, I'm originally from Brazil, and I first lived abroad when I went to Mauritius, and by the time I was working for an NGO, which focus was uh, personal development and leadership development for uh, young kids, for people in, in college and just after college. And that took me from Mauritius to Argentina, Chile, and Uruguay, where I was managing this NGO and 2,000 people, and I became the president of the local of the regional chapter of ISAC in Southern Cone. It was the NGO that uh, we covered from uh, Santiago to Buenos Aires, Montevideo, and 20 cities in that region. And it was a big challenge for me. And it was the first time I got in touch with community building without being aware of it. And just after I quit that position, I finished my term, I accidentally fell as the marketing assistant in one of the main accelerators of startups in Latin America, called the Next TP Labs. So I just came from a very challenging, challenging experience as the president of a large NGO and having 2,000 volunteers under me and having to manage people through culture. And suddenly I was the marketing assistant for this accelerator. And my main job was to deliver events, the program, the weekly activities, matching mentors of startups, introducing startups to investors who are visiting town. And to be very honest, I loved it, but I also felt really bored. And at the same time, I was not noticing that everything I was doing for that accelerator and everything they were teaching me would be the foundations of everything I would do later on in the Malaysian ecosystem for the next four years. And that was pretty much community building for uh, cross-organizations, grassroots community building to build uh, open and collaborative startup ecosystems. So that's how I accidentally fell into startups. I just knew that 
I admired entrepreneurs and I wanted to become one. And I felt that by working in that accelerator, I would be in touch with those entrepreneurs and learn in practice from how they think and how they see the world. And that pretty much gave me the essence of what community building is to teach people and to educate people on how to become some, on to get, how to get some skills on how to gain some specific mindset, such as an entrepreneurial mindset, which was the one I wanted by living with other people who have that mindset. So that's pretty much summing up how I got into startups and into community building. Got it. And so it seems like community building was really in your DNA from day one. Uh, and you know, we, we have a lot of startup ecosystem builders tuning in from ecosystems at, at all different stages. But I would love for you to kick this off, really talking about community building from day one, right? So what are the first steps or the, the, the initial to-do list for, for starting to get a community off the ground? Well, this stupid basic step, which some people ignore because sometimes it's just obvious, it's within us, is why do we want to start a community? And a very good example is that I was part of building the startup ecosystem in Malaysia and connecting Malaysian startups to Southeast Asia and the other way around. And after I took a break, after I sold my company and quit the company that acquired mine, I took a break from that. And then I got, I lost, I lost kind of purpose, right? I started exploring new ecosystems and then my role became exploration. And I started thinking about this, the exact question that you asked me now. If I were, if I were to do that again, somewhere else what how do i start so i start i started trying to hack into what i had done in malaysia when the idea of doing hacking communities came about and the first thing i identified it was actually when i was living in bali and i figured that oh my god this like there's a lot of plastic on the beach and people need a cleanup and there were lots of initiatives happening here but i don't know who exactly is taking care of what and i started to feel the urge of building community again and then I felt the same thing I felt back in 2014 in Malaysia when I wanted to help entrepreneurs, but I wanted to see what was being done already. So why am I saying this? It's to illustrate the fact that having a problem, having a purpose is the first part of building communities. It can be building a more entrepreneurial mindset in people. It can be having a more sustainable ecosystem. But either way, when you have a problem, you immediately go to try to find how is it already being solved? Is a little bit of a market research, but the first step is, what's your problem? The second step is, what are the solutions available? But in community building, you don't see them as competitors, whereas many times as companies, we see the, our market research as in a way to find competitors and differentiate. I think that community building is a way for you to differentiate, but it's more a way for you to collaborate with people who are already doing that. Because the more people trying to solve a problem, the more likely that problem is going to be solved. And the problems that community building normally tackles are problems which are, which are not easily solved. They need organicity. They need organic growth. The very first step is the one which is not obvious. is having a problem which needs to be solved and likely a very big one, which cannot be solved by only one organization. The second is mapping the ecosystem. And that's one fundamental step which happens naturally for people who already think in a collaborative way. Does that make sense? It does. And so I, I definitely want to set, make sure we're setting the right frame. And so when, when we say community building, uh, I mean, I guess, w what does that encompass? Like, is there a difference between community building or at least strategies for building a community in, say, like a, a local community, local startup ecosystem versus building an internal culture in a startup? And uh, I think you have an interesting perspective on that, having, uh, you know, built your own co-working space, having helped build the startup grind community on, on a global scale. Um, so, I mean, what, what, are the, what are the differences between those? 
in fact, just I, I built actually the co- a working space marketplace. So in fact, it was more of an ecosystem of co-working spaces and office spaces providers in general. I think the principles that apply to community building, either it's an internal or an external community, are the same. So if I may be a little bit of a nerd and talk about why do communities exist, communities are just bubbles of trust, right? These are places where we feel familiar with other people. And by feeling familiar, we trust and we share information more openly. So when you talk about Silicon Valley, the identity created amongst people who were pioneering in entrepreneurship and technology, that strong identity that made also people believe in other things like being healthy and following a yoga lifestyle. It doesn't matter what was the point of identity, but there was a very strong sense of community and identity with, which made people trust each other and from there share ideas and knowledge. And of course, creating that culture of abundance, which is basically originated from an environment and a context of trust is important either for an organization if you want your employees to help each other and not fight each other and step in each other's heads and it's important for a startup ecosystem it's proven even by data from startup genome that does this kind of research and i've recently found that startups can grow up to two times more if they have a strong community in that ecosystem So, I mean, in both cases, the principles are the same, bubbles of trust, just to define what community is. It dates back to the moment when we were still primates and living in caves and the fact that we we could only survive if we belonged. So belonging feels good and feels safe and we belong to people we feel familiar with. So that's just to define a little bit of community first. And then on getting it done, I think there is a bit of the main difference is in the selectiveness or the management style for these different communities. Like in a company, you have your culture and you have a selection process to invite employees in and you pay each of them a salary. And even though you can build that sense of trust, that internal community in which people feel safe to share, you still have to pay people a salary and you still have to manage them with an organizational chart, even if you make that the most organic and fluid as possible. Whereas when you talk about startup communities and ecosystems, you don't have a central management system. And the whole point is that when you have a centralizing person playing a role in there, most of the times if that person disappears, that community is going to die. So the essence of startup startup ecosystems or any organic communities which do not have a centralized system is sustainability, is that it does not depend on one head to survive. It depends on many points of connections. And it's more of a distributed network model. If you talk about this Paul Barron's you know, graph of networks that originated the communication systems that we have. Ecosystems look more like distributed networks, whereas organizations and companies, internal communities look more like decentralized ones, where you have many bubbles and you still have centralized systems controlling areas and you still have to control who gets in and is not organic, it's not fluid, where people can go in and out freely according to how much they feel that they they belong to that community or not? Okay, and so and so that makes sense that building a a startup community where there, there's not as much of a a structured hierarchy as in a company might be a little bit more difficult. And uh, I know in, in in terms of sustainability, you actually have a thesis uh, around retaining a community, which I believe you call offline SEO strategy. It's definitely super important that once you get your your startup ecosystem and and the community off the ground 
there's still a lot of effort needed towards actually retaining the community and, and, and fostering the community. Uh, and, and can you expand a little bit on, on your, your, your thesis around having an offline SEO strategy? Yeah. First of all, there's two things I'd like to clarify. And the reason why it's offline, it's because um, I do believe that we, although we are mobile and connected and that have enabled us to belong anywhere. And I don't know, I no longer need to leave uh, in the very small town where I was born and get married with a cousin and stay there forever. Now I have information and mobility and I'm free to belong anywhere. But we cannot fool ourselves and think that offline connections don't matter. So the reason why I started this, this idea of offline SEO for community buildings, because even if you have an online content strategy and you bring people together around a, a, an online product to build trust, it's still it still makes a difference to bring them together offline. And for those who are interested, we can talk more about scientific data that proves that. But moving on, um, everyone here knows, I guess, that SEO is about essentially placing your website on the top of searches on Google, right? Is search engine optimization. And the way you do it sometimes is becoming relevant, having relevant content which relates to your brand. So many people still commit a lot of mistakes when doing their SEO strategy and they share content that has nothing to do and they frustrate people. But the key of SEO strategy is creating content which is extremely relevant to your brand and will attract exactly like kind of person that you want to attract. So how I developed this, it's actually not my own idea. I was working for a startup grind for about five years. And Derek Anderson, the founder of Startup Grind, is one of the biggest the best community builders I've met in life. He's intuitive and he knows how to do it by heart, by DNA. And he would tell that cadence matters. Derek Anderson would also say, always say cadence matters, having constant events. In the case of Startup Wine, these are monthly meetups, which are super simple in order for you to be able to do it on a monthly basis. And Derek, although he organizes one of, I think, the current largest startup conferences in Silicon Valley currently, he says that, okay, we can do a big event but what really builds the community are these local, small versions of monthly recurrent events. So let's type the pieces together. The type of content that you create, the relevance of this content will define the people you attract. And the cadence will define how often do they see each other. And that frequency is going to build trust amongst them. So in a very simple format, uh, we can even think of the theory of particles that we, well, it's, so, it's from chemistry and physics, but the more often, uh, the more collisions, the more likely there will be successful reactions. So you need to create spaces where people meet more frequently. And the more people meet, more serendipity is likely to happen. So I even call this engineering serendipity. It all falls into this idea of line SEO is creating enough recurrent excuses to bring people together in such a frequent basis where by seeing each other, even if it's not the same people come to your to your event, you're going to build a lighthouse for people who are into that type of content. If it's entrepreneurship, if it's gastronomy, it doesn't matter, but you'll become a reference point, like top of search on Google for people who are into that. They will see you as someone who's a distributed network, who's going to connect them, connect them to people who they feel like they belong to. And the, the other concept which is tied to this, and I talk about it a lot, is the idea of community building being like the turkey in the Thanksgiving dinner, because that, that was said by Higmason, who's uh, the CEO and co-founder of GFDI. 
which is currently one of the main accelerators of startups in Singapore and in Asia. So he would say that, okay, community building is like the turkey in the Thanksgiving dinner. People get together to eat the turkey, but what really matters are the conversations around the table. So in a way, when you create content offline or online, these are excuses for people to get together. If you, if you invite someone for coffee, you don't need to take get coffee with them, right? What you want is to talk to that person. But we invite each other for coffee, for dinner, and we invite each other for a meetup. And people who come are people who relate to that content. So the key strategy is creating a funnel of content which aims to attract, engage, and retain your people. And of course, you have to define specifically what type of events are attraction-focused, engagement-focused, and retention-focused. And this becomes a more complex plan, but the core idea of offline SEO strategy to tie it up together is building excuses to bring people together frequently, creating, baking enough turkeys, let's say, for people to gather around the Thanksgiving dinner, but it cannot be just once a year. It needs to be frequently enough so that they feel that they know each other and they start to feel that you are a reference point that can be trusted when it comes to that community. Right. I know there's a lot of content in there, but I hope that made sense for you. Do ask me any questions if that's <laughs> no. That, it, it does make a lot of sense, and you know what, what's interesting as I kind of reflect and, and look back on on a few years of doing interviews. One of the insights that I've had is that the person who kind of stepped up and became the the leader in, in their local startup community, they were all motivated by a specific insight, and that insight was, "Wow, we have so many interesting creatives and." software engineers building cool products, but they're all in their silos. You know, what would happen if we created a space, whether it was an incubator or a co-working space for all these people to meet? And the serendipity of of what happened in the months after that is, you know, the the foundation for uh, startup ecosystems all over the world, from from Nairobi to Iowa to Europe. And and obviously that was, uh, you know, something that that you learned in, in Southeast Asia as well. It's great to hear you say that because I'm back to Brazil now for I came to participate in two events here as a speaker talking about community hacking. And I interviewed lots of people informally on like on their local ecosystems. And I'm talking about from rural ecosystems in Brazil where they are developing agrotech and stuff, which uh, it's really different from what I've seen before in the valley and in Malaysia. But and to people who from larger ecosystems such as Sao Paulo, Rio, etc. But the coincidence is that when you look at why they, the people who built, who were leading these ecosystems, and if you look even at Brad Feld and his book Startup Communities, these were people who essentially had this concern you just described. They just had this network-minded, even this distributed mindset of like seeing points in the network that would benefit from connecting with each other. And the best way to scale connecting people, instead of doing like personal intros, even because our brains are not able to process how many connections there can be when the ecosystem becomes very complex, is like having a database with 3,000 inputs and trying to manage and handle it all in your head. It's impossible. So what the community builders do is, it's very intuitive, is to create spaces for people to meet defined by relevance that's defined by content. So when you do an event, for instance, to talk about the best ways to build architecture or the best tools to build the best architecture in the latest trends in development, development, etc. Of course, you're going to attract people to who understand and are interested in that topic. And it's very likely that besides the topic being delivered, you have a lot of healthy exchange amongst those people. And 
a practical way to see that being implemented not by people who are the typical ecosystem builders like Brad Feld, the famous ones, like people like us who are community builders, uh, grassroots community builders locally. A good case would be like AWS, which uh, I don't know if you've seen, but most of the AWS summits are not about AWS people selling their services and selling their their products. It's mostly about local developers sharing their latest experiences and best case practices with others. And of course, it's implicit between the lines that they are using AWS. Everyone who's there is a user, but they're not selling the product. They're talking about their best practices. They're teaching each other. They're sharing knowledge. But by doing that, they build, they build a more authentic community than if they were just talking about themselves. So that's, that's very interesting. It's basically about capitalizing collective intelligence through hosting spaces. We are pretty much hosts organizing activities, setting up parties sometimes. And it's very important to make parties as well because these are informal contexts where people connect more authentically. And it's very important for us to create spaces where people do not connect based on a transaction, but based on a giving more than taking mindset, which is essential for community building. And you can see that from startup going to tech stars that give more than take is a, is a core value to build those communities. Yep, I completely agree. And so switching gears a little bit for, for the, uh, the latter half of this interview, I don't, I don't think we've had anyone on the show yet to date who's, who's kind of an, an expert on Malaysia and the Malaysia startup ecosystem. And I think a lot of people here in the US are somewhat, you know, we'll say uninformed about what's going on in Malaysia. And the reason I say that is because I, I like to think of myself as a pretty global minded person in the US, but even I, I'm pretty ignorant when it comes to the Malaysian ecosystem. Could you walk us through your uh, your, your first couple years in in Malaysia and 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 how you saw the the startup ecosystem start developing from the ground up? Well, the first thing is that I find the Malaysian ecosystem is a little bit underrated globally because what most people don't know is that the whole Southeast Asian ecosystem is pretty much well connected, especially starting from a country like Malaysia, which has around if I'm not mistaken, roughly 40 million inhabitants, population, which doesn't make it a very like good company for one startup to grow and stay in there. So the first thing is that Malaysians are normally very global-minded citizens. Companies, specifically startup companies who start from Malaysia, they are thinking on going global from the get-go. And another factor is that the whole Southeast Asian ecosystem is connected by the financial center and say the most stable country in the region, that's Singapore. And many times successful Malaysian companies go to TechCrunch as Singaporean. One great example is Grab, the company who acquired the Uber operations in Southeast Asia. They are from Malaysia, bred and born. Largest part of their operations, as far as I'm informed, well, now they have a big team and offices in Indonesia as well, because that's the largest market and hottest market in Southeast Asia. But they started from Malaysia and they still have a big operations office in there. So what I would say about Malaysia is they have uh, some core characteristics which make it very special. And it sounds like I'm selling Malaysia because, because I always say these kind of things, but this is real and this is why I started myself, my company there, my startup in there. First, I find it's a great launch pad for Southeast Asia because Kuala Lumpur is not just the capital of, I'd say, AirAsia, which is the cheapest, like... Um, flights you can get which the the how can you say that it's like Ryanair for Southeast Asia um and the most of the flights come from 
Kuala Lumpur and you have a very well interconne interconnected region from KL, we are 45 minutes flight or six hours drive to Singapore, which is definitely the financial center of Southeast Asia. But culturally, Malaysia relates a lot to Indonesia. Even in their language, they share a lot of words and most of their vocabulary and grammar with uh, Indonesia, which is the largest market of Southeast Asia. So it's a country which is cheaper than Singapore, but very well connected to Singapore, has very good global-minded talent, mostly English-speaking, when you talk about KL, Kuala Lumpur. And at the same time, they are very they can empathize with Indonesia better than other countries in Southeast Asia, even though you have great markets to go to in Southeast Asia as well, including Thailand, Vietnam, all these Philippines, all these markets have above 100 million people, and these are all very interesting markets. But Indonesia remains the largest and the hottest currently in Southeast Asia. And Malaysia is like a small, I would say, experience of that culture. Even though it's very different, Malaysians tend to speak more English in urban areas than Indonesia, but they still share a lot of the Malay roots. And that makes it a very interesting country for you to start from, set operations from, in a cheaper um, ecosystem, cheaper than Singapore specifically, but at the same time close to investors because you're just 45 minutes flight away. And what I've seen is that in 2000, Malaysia started the first wave of startups in the 2000s with companies like Jobstreet and MOL, who bought Friendster. And Malaysia has had a very early wave of startups, of startup founders, and that did not stop. They had cycles, and then they have the second cycle with startups like Catch a Group from Patrick Grove, and then you had startups like Says.com uh, and Groups More, which was the is one of the biggest cases of success of Malaysia, where one of the co-founders became the APEC director for Groupon because they bought Groupon acquired groups more. And later on, that co-founder called Joe, he quit, uh, Joe Neal, he quit uh, Groupon and he started this company called KFIT, which pivoted into this company called Fave. And Fave bought back the operations of Groupon in Malaysia and Indonesia and so on. So Malaysia has a very complex layered ecosystem where you have seasoned founders and seasoned companies and if you can think about seasoned companies, what do they do? They develop talent. So you have people who quit companies to start other companies. So you start to have that mushroom effect of startups. And you start to have to develop talent to build that community better. Even the the story of how uh, Rails, Ruby uh, on Rails developers grew the community, how did they grow in Malaysia? It's from startups needing Ruby on Rails developers and having none. And they started from a group of 10 people who were studying Ruby together until it became a massive uh, language that everybody uses in Malaysia. So it's from the start of very small companies and it, the, their need of talent, their need for investment, attracting investors and opening up the space for companies from overseas to set their offices from Malaysia. And those companies include even Streamline Studios. They develop like Final Fantasy and global level video game graphics for the world, and they have their office in Malaysia, 230 people, and 65% are Malaysians, locals. So I'm saying these things to say, besides being in a prominent space, I find that they have an interesting global-minded culture, and the only problem of, of Malaysians is that they undermine this, them, themselves a lot, and I find, find them in that aspect very similar to Brazilians. We are very scarcity-minded because we grew up in a country where we basically don't trust 
each other much. We don't trust government much to start with. So we feel that we got to fight for ourselves. And we see our country very negatively. And we tend to value what comes from overseas more than ourselves. So Malaysia is suffering from a little bit of brain drain. And that's a big deal, a big issue. And it's suffering from a little bit of Malaysians criticizing their own country. And I think that's the only thing that can mind Malaysia now is Malaysians itself criticizing Malaysia instead of having an abundance mindset. And that was at the very core of what I was doing as Startup Grind from 2014, what Magic, the Malaysian Global Innovation Startup Ecosystem, uh, was doing as well in Malaysia. So building a culture of abundance is the biggest challenge of Malaysia. And it's helped by these bubbles of startups and founders that are already interconnected through programs from the government, private programs, WhatsApp groups, startup events, and startups itself who hire a lot of people and build those mindsets inside their companies. So that's basically a picture of Malaysia from my point of view. In terms of the startup activity, is it primarily concentrated in just Kuala Lumpur or is it spread out across multiple hubs? That's a very good question. There are very, there's a lot of people uh, in many places like there is a Google Developers Group in Sabah, which is in Borneo. There is a very, very strong developers movement and basically IoT movement in Penang, which is also like known as the Shenzhen of Malaysia, the capital for anything IoT-related, Internet of Things and hardware-related because they had many corporates building stuff in there in Penang. But And also Johor has a very uh, budding and thriving startup ecosystem. So... Essentially, there are communities in, spread out through many cities. But if you want to attract investors, it's already hard sometimes to be in, in Kuala Lumpur, to be in Malaysia. And sometimes you even got to go to Singapore when it comes to investment. But that's changing fast. And there's a big interest from the government in building programs that take technology and entrepreneurship opportunities to the rural areas. But I would say that when it comes to meeting the largest community, and being where everything happens is pretty much in Kuala Lumpur, similarly to how it is pretty much in Sao Paulo when it comes to Brazil, or similarly on the same way it's Buenos Aires when it comes to Argentina. So I would say there are budding movement, mo movements all over Malaysia. There are things where Penang is better than KL, but the core of the movement and where you meet people and you have the most density is still in Kuala Lumpur. And when it comes to density, in fact, it is still Singapore because it's a smaller territory and very concentrated with startups and investors. But this is something that I think it's changing with time. Other countries, including Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, Philippines, are also getting more independent when it comes to investment and investor profile. But these are the only things where I feel people are still, sometimes they feel the need to go to Singapore to cross paths more often with startup people. But KL is getting there, but still the center of Malaysia in that aspect. So, Lise, we're going to finish off with a quick fire round. Four questions up to 60 seconds each. How does that sound? Oh, my God. I'm hard about that. <laughs> Let's try. <laughs> what is your favorite business book and why? Favorite business book is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni. Because it changed and saved my life when I was the president of ISAC in Southern Con. It basically talks about how vulnerability and having conflict, constructive conflict is at the very core of building teams that go further and achieve goals together. And it's worth reading for any CEO of any company. It's written as a fiction. You can read it in one day and it's amazing. 
So let's say I'm visiting uh, Kuala Lumpur. I only have one night there. What What's the one thing that you recommend that I do? Okay. If you have a Startup Grind event happening there, you should go to Startup Grind <laughs> if you don't. And the other thing would be I would advise you go to PS150. It's a very nice bar started by this girl called Angel, and you have the best drinks in town. Or if you want a very different experience, go to Suzy Wong. You have this cabaret style, Hong Kong cabaret style, almost kind of speakeasy bar. And you're going to have a great time in there for sure with shows and things you wouldn't expect seeing in Malaysia, but it's amazing. So based on your, your time in Malaysia, I know, I know it's been about a year since you've been there, but mm-hmm. predict what is the, what, what startup vertical is going to produce the next unicorn coming out of Malaysia? I have a strong feeling that's fintech and I may be wrong, but the reason why I say that is that Malaysia has a great history building great fintech startups. I would say SaaS is also a very strong model, software as a service, but I would say that SaaS would maybe still be ready to payment. You can see that one of the main um, growing startups in Malaysia right now is Fave, which basically allows you to pay for coffee from your phone, cashless, going cashless. And uh, Malaysia is going cashless faster than Brazil. That's impressive. And then you have GrabPay with Grab being, of course, one of the main influencers of the Malaysian startup ecosystem. And you have Malaysians past with MOL, which was one of the largest companies of Malaysia. And it was also in fintech. And I think that Malaysia, this is something I have as an impression from Argentina. And I'm just making a parallel with Malaysia. When a country is not very, very stable uh, financially, when the currency fluctuates a lot, people tend to be more open to blockchain and alternative currency currency ideas. So I think people in Malaysia are very attracted to blockchain, very curious about it, even more than in the entire world where people are already attracted to it. And the final thing is that, although I don't know much about this industry, I am aware that financially, Malaysia serves as as a connection between the Middle East and Southeast Asia. So that makes Malaysia a very strategic country for anything fintech related, connecting Asia to the Islamic world. So yeah, that's big. And finally, we always ask people, uh, what's the favorite thing about where they live? But since you've lived in, we'll say, what, Mauritius, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Malaysia, yeah. tell me, what is your favorite place that you've lived uh, and why? Okay, that's so hard. I tend to have this tendency to want to live everywhere I just visit. I'm in Rio now in Brazil, and I want to live here, but I know that I won't in the short term. I would say that the place which is closest to my heart currently is Kuala Lumpur. And, but what it brings together are details that I think many cities have, which is diversity. I like cities where you can have uh, hills and lakes, waterfalls and um, big skyscrapers sky and uh, bars and drink bars and nightclubs, but also you can have a park to go and run. So I, I like androgynous cities in a way, yeah, like cities that are diverse and versatile. And I did build a very strong connection with KL because I think it's a city that it's many times underrated in Southeast Asia, but it offers you luxury and simplicity and local food from uh, foods from a street stall. And it, at the same time offers you great cultural activities such as the Phil- Malaysian Philharmonic. So I like diversity. And most of all, I would say Mauritius and Malaysia are very close to my heart when it comes to cultural diversity. Both in Malaysia and Mauritius, you have the year starting four times in the year because you have four different cultures coexisting 
and sharing festivals. And you have a lot of food every time the year starts. So you have a lot of opportunities to eat great food because there's a festival, there's the beginning of the Chinese New Year, and you have Ramadan, and you have Diwali. So it's a beautiful culture. And I love Malaysia because of that. And Mauritius is very similar. Well, Ace, this has been great. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Andrew. And I hope 36 minutes is not too much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to add Andrew on Snapchat at andberk.com. That's A-N-D-B-E-R-K to see firsthand a day in the life of an entrepreneur in cities all around the world.